0: Hey, there we go. Hey, let's, before you sit down, let's pray really quick, church. God, thank you for this moment to be out here to worship, to be able to listen to, to your creation. Uh, the, the sounds of praise mixed with the sounds of creation, it's a powerful thing. Thank you for that reminder about who you are, that you are God, that you are Father, that you are creator of all things. God, help us to put our eyes on you in this moment as we gather to, to hear from your word. We love you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, church, you can sit down. Hey, uh, we, we've been in this series the past few weeks, uh, and it, really, we've been in this for a while. It's called Run, and we've been going through this uh, look at 1 Corinthians, and some of you, if you've been with us these last two weeks, you know I haven't gotten farther than about two verses in on chapter 6, and guess what? We might not get any further than that today. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look with me here. here here's what he says what Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? That was the issue in the church. The, the church, they had these small little issues, these small little problems. And instead of just having those within the church help them settle it, They were going to these outside judges, these courts, and so they were taking these little tiny matters into the public square and bringing it before judges who did not believe. Don't you realize that someday we believers, we the church, that's for all of us right here, we believers, we the church will judge the world, and since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? That's the verse. I I cannot get past that. Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church I am saying this to shame you. Paul, he doesn't hold back here. Some, sometimes we say no offense when we say something hard or we say, I'm not trying to shame you. Paul just comes out and he, he's not messing around. I am trying to shame you, all right? I, he's, just, he's honest. I am trying to shame you. This is bad. This is, this is wrong what you are doing. Sometimes we just try to be, you know, we try to be polite. You know, we're, we're church nice. That's what we've grown up. Like, hey, the church is supposed to be nice, Sometimes there is a place and a time that Paul is telling us when you don't have to be nice. Sometimes, in fact, the situation, depending on what the situation is, sometimes it calls for honesty. And sometimes honesty is the nicest, most Christian thing we can do. And so he tells them, I'm trying to shame you in how you're handling these affairs. Okay? Okay. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? Yes, he has gifted the church with many different gifts. All the different people within the church, there are people within your church body that are gifted in discernment, gifted in the knowledge of the law, gifted in discerning right from wrong, okay? So when there's a small dispute, when there's something like that that comes up, within the church another believer to another believer, we're not just supposed to go and like take that to court. That's what Paul is saying here. Like bring it to the church and let it be decided there amongst God's people. But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. So I, I, I told you, I keep getting stuck on this one verse that someday we will judge angels. Because I think in our minds as earthly people, we have this idea that, man, we are, I mean, we are at the bottom of the totem pole. But the truth is, through Jesus Christ's sacrifice, we are now adopted into the family. Jesus is our big brother, okay? He has, because of what he's done, we've been adopted into the family. We are now siblings, Okay, we are sons and daughters of the living God. Yeah, you can clap for that. Come on, church. We are adopted. Thank you. All right, here we go now. Now, I gotta tell you, I'm stuck on this because guess what? We carry more authority than we live out in our lives. Okay, you carry the authority of a son and a daughter. Now, that doesn't mean that we just, we do whatever we want and we start, you know, knocking down people and saying, get out of our way. No, 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 we mimic the big brother. We mimic the life he lived, the way he loved, the way he served. But we also need to realize we carry more authority than we ever realized through this world. And so now what God wants to do, he wants the church to step into that authority. You carry the keys of authority. He's, that's what Jesus did. When he, when he was getting ready to leave, during his ministry, he handed the keys of authority to his disciples. And he said, you now carry these keys. You have authority here on earth, okay? So that means all, all what Paul talks about in Ephesians, all the principalities, the powers, the leaders of darkness in this world, they are nothing compared to the authority that we carry because of the keys that have been handed to us through Jesus. So now I need to tell you something about your authority. And for this, we're going to go back to the Old Testament because I knew today we're going to have, you know, in the park, we do all family service. we got all the kids with us. And I thought, man, what's more fun than getting to talk about David and Goliath when we got the whole church family together? So I I need, uh, let me see here. I need eight volunteers. Some, okay, yeah, yeah. I know you were going to be one. One, one. Come stand right here. Well, I need one. Two. Yeah, right there, right there. Jagger, are you in? You want to be in? All right, maybe, maybe. We'll come back to you. Keegan Kinley, come on up here. Jackson, you want to come on up? How you feeling? You ready for this? All right, don't worry. It's an easy assignment, easy assignment here. Let's see, where's uh, Landon or, uh, let's see. Yeah, I need a tall guy. I need a tall guy. One of you guys, come on. Yeah, here we go. Thank you, Cooper. How many do I got now? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I need one. Jag, you want to come up? Come on, Jag. No, 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 You coming? Yes, come on. Here we go. All right. Now, You want to come up? I'll get, me, yeah, yeah, just come on up. Yeah, you, you're cool, you're cool. <laughs> Stand here with all these boys. You got to hang out with these boys. All right, let me see here. I got I to got look here. Jackson, I need you to come over here. Come on over here, Jackson. I got one job for you. I, I want you to stand right here. And hey, Adeline, come here. Do you know how to be a sheep? You know how to be a sheep? He ba. he say ba. Oh, that's a good sheep. That's a good sheep. All right. You, you, you're hanging out. You're my shepherd, all right? You take care of this sheep. Make sure she doesn't get too crazy over here, okay? All right, here we go. First Samuel, all right? First Samuel, if you want to follow along with me, 16. So at this point, If you've never read Samuel, let me give you the quick rundown. They they made this guy Saul king, and he was tall, and he was good-looking, and he looked like a leader. But what did he do? He disobeyed the Lord. He disobeyed the Lord. And so now he is not the chosen king anymore. God's hand has been taken from him. And so Samuel was the prophet. And Samuel, he, he had anointed Saul originally. Here's what it says, 16 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil, go to Bethlehem, find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. You guys right here, you are the sons of Jesse, okay? One of you has been selected to be the next king of Israel. So Samuel comes. And I'll play the part of Samuel here. And, and he comes, and he comes into town, and, uh, and God has told him what family. And so he calls out Jesse and his family. And Jesse, he brings his sons out to meet him. And, uh, and uh, what happens here? Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at the oldest brother, Eliab, you're the oldest brother. That's why I needed you. You're taller than these guys. Look, he, he's, he's big, right? He's a lot taller than you guys. You guys are a little bit younger, a little bit smaller. You'll get taller. Don't worry, guys. You're going to keep growing, okay? He, Samuel came over. He took one look at Eliab, and he said, this is the guy. Right, right here, this is the next king of Israel. Do you know what God said? Do you guys know what God said about Eliab being the next king of Israel? Did he say yes or no? He said, no, 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 no. He said, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. You know, I know that hurts, man. I know you weren't the chosen one this time. I'm sorry, man. The Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son, Abinadab, to step forward. Hey, you're Abinadab. You're the next one up. Step forward up here. Abinadab. He told Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. Here, come walk in front of me. Strut around. There you go. Like, yeah, yeah, you're the king, all right? You think you're the next king of Israel, okay? He told Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of him. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Go get back in line. Sorry. Then he told the next one. Next one, come on out here, walk in front of me. Nope, this is not the one. Nope, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Next one, next one, come on. Let me see. Nope, not the one. Nope, sorry, not it, not it. One by one, all the way down, the Lord has not chosen any of these. The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. That's you, that's you. You're the youngest. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. Come on over here, guys, come on over here. Bring that sheep over here. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. Oh, great eyes, fantastic eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, oh, you're right here, right in the midst of your brothers. Come here. Come on over here, Jackson. You were right there in the midst of all the brothers. As David stood there among his brothers, Samuel tucked the flask of olive oil. I don't have any olive oil, but he just, he anointed him, poured it on his head. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. All right, give these guys a hand. Give these guys a hand. Thank you. Thank you, sheep. You did so good. You guys can go sit down. Thank you. From that day forward, that was how the next king was chosen. This is, just just put yourselves in that position right there. Put yourselves in the position of the older brother, Abinadab, Abinadab, Standing there and Eliab, these older brothers, and being told no, being told no. And then all of a sudden, your youngest brother, who didn't even get the invite to the party, he comes up and he gets anointed. Like it's good in this moment. Put yourself in both shoes, put yourselves in David's shoes to imagine what that must have felt like what that experience was, to be completely discounted, to be forgotten, to be left in the field when all this is going on, and then to be brought into this moment and chosen to be the next king of Israel, but also put yourselves in the older brother's shoes. All seven of these brothers passed over in this moment. How could that have felt? I I think we've all been in both these places. We've all been chosen at one point and we've all been rejected at one point. That rejection, it can hurt, it can sting and it can pass on as a wound that we share to others. And that's what we see in this story because right after this, chapter 17, Goliath comes into the picture and the Philistine army, they come out to face Israel. And at the battle lines, Goliath is out there challenging the Israelites, saying, hey, just send out one person to fight me. Send out one person to fight me. And whoever wins, that's it. The battle will be over. And and Goliath, it it says basically how it works out in our terms, uh, he is over 10 feet tall. And and some of you guys are wondering, like, giants, all that stuff, is that real? Uh, Yes. Like, when it talks about giants, when it talks about the Nephilim in the Bible, this is not just like a metaphor to make a good story. There were literally beings that stood over 10 feet tall, over 14, fall, over 14 feet tall. Uh, in fact, you can kind of go back and like look at like old newspapers, and you can find, uh, if you go through, like, especially to the early 1900s, uh, when they found some of these giant skeletons They've been discovered. They're out there. You can research this. Uh, but they're, I mean, they range anywhere from 9 feet, 12 feet, 14 feet. They're, they're huge. And, and so when it talks about Goliath being a giant, this is not just a metaphor for, you know, hey, let's make this a fun story. There were giants, Nephilim. Uh, and so here he is towering above all the people, this warrior, and he's calling out the entire army. And the Israelites... All the older brothers were in the army and and they're all out there together and they're listening to the challenges day by day. And they're listening to the taunts of the enemy, taunting their God. And so David gets sent by his father out to the battle lines to take some food to his brothers, to check in, to see how they're doing. And so uh, we'll pick up here, 17 uh, verse 24. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, Goliath, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. When D- David asked a soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked about the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Eliab remembered the hurt and the rejection of that moment when he was passed over to be anointed to be next king of Israel. And, and he, I, that, that, that stuck with him. And you can see that throughout Scripture. Time and time again, God chooses those that the rest of the world expected, did not expect. God chooses those who are smallest, those who are youngest, those who everyone else has looked past or beyond and discounted. And he uses the unexpected for great things. But that's hard. That is hard. That is hard when you... Th- When you are that oldest brother, when you get passed over, it's hard not to carry that wound with you in this world. It's hard not to carry that and pass that on to others. And that's what Eliab is doing right here. He says he knows David's heart. He knows what he's all about. He knows that he's prideful and deceitful in what he's doing here at the battle lines. You ever had that moment? where all you were trying to do was just do what's right. And somebody came in and said, I know who you really are. I I know about the evil in your heart. I know about the pride that you carry. I know you're doing this for the wrong reasons. It's usually the people that are closest to you. It's usually the people that are closest to you. It's usually your own flesh and blood that will come in when you are just trying to be obedient to God and they're the ones that are gonna come in with the sharpest knives and stick them right in the heart, right in the back and say, I know who you are because this is who you were and this is who you are and this is who you will always be. That's not what God says about you. And and that's not the words that we as believers are to speak over others. Even when it looks like somebody else has been chosen, then that's not the way we should react. Instead of reacting with jealousy and anger and bitterness, what if we as a church started to act with, man, celebration? What if we started to celebrate the spiritual authority that people are beginning to step into and walk in in their lives? But we don't do that because when we see others start to step into spiritual authority and being obedient to God, it, it convicts us. And so we don't want to change. We don't want to change our lives. We don't want to change our level of obedience to the word of God. And so we'd rather tear them down than raise up to that level that they're living at. <sighs> Let me help you here. Let me help you here. You're not getting it yet. You're not getting it. Here we go. Let me, we're close. We're close. You can see this. When you start to see somebody go to that next level of faith, When you start to see somebody walk in crazy obedience, it makes you uncomfortable because it it convicts you of what you are doing in your life or what you are not doing in your life. It, It sounds crazy what they're doing, but that's what crazy faith looks like. That's what crazy obedience looks like. It looks abnormal to the rest of the world and we're uncomfortable with it. What David did it looked insane. He was a 14 year old kid who stepped into a camp where there is war going on and there are grown men with armor and shields and swords. And he stepped in and said, Who's this guy to defy the living God? That's a cocky 14 year old right there, right? Like, if. We, we praise that story. We, we're like, man, that's awesome. But if it was any of us at battle right there, and one of our own kids came in, or our younger brother came in and said, who's this guy to defy the living God? Think about how you would really react. Think about it. Would you be like, yeah, you're right? Or would you be like, shut up, kid. Get back in line. You don't know. This is for grown people, all right? I, I'm an adult. I've lived some life. I've experienced stuff. You're 14. You don't know about the real world. But who did Jesus say we should be like? Who did Jesus say we should be like? Man, all right, come on, church, come on. There we go. One, two, three. All right, we need the faith of kids. That's what he's telling us. And the faith of kids looks stupid to adults. Let's Let's be a little less worried about what people think about, about what the world's going to say, and start saying, hey, I'm not afraid to look stupid in my faith. I'm not afraid to say bold things and pray bold prayers because I know who my God is, and I know what he can do, and I know that even if he doesn't do what I want him to do or what I know he is able to do, he is still the only God worth following in this world. That's what David knew and understood. And so when he stepped into that camp, that was what he was stepping into. He was stepping in with faith, knowing who his God is and that he can deliver no matter who the enemy is, what the enemy looks like, no matter how tall, no matter how big, no matter how many, because he had heard the stories of the past about who he was as deliverer and he believed that he could and would deliver again and that he's not done. He's a God of deliverance. And so there's some of you in here today, you're facing some of those moments where you're like, there's no way. There's no way he's gonna move. There's no way he's gonna change this. There's no way. And you've even kind of shut it down because you've had that thought, man, but God can. But you know what the world would say if you start to have that kind of faith. The world would tell you that's not realistic. That's crazy. That's stupid. That's naive. That's what the Eliabs are gonna say when you start to step into that crazy kind of faith and believing for miracles again. But miracles aren't done. I, I, I don't know if you are familiar with this, but he, here in the Western church, we've kind of discounted miracles. We've said miracles don't happen anymore because we're too smart for that. We're too educated. We don't need miracles. We got doctors, we got scientists, we can explain everything. God is still doing the unexplainable in our world today. He is still moving miraculously today. And I'm telling you something, the Western church is about to see a movement of God like we haven't seen in this world before because he's been moving in these other countries. You can hear the stories. If you go and look for the stories, you'll start to find them. There's stories of the miraculous still happening. There's stories of healings still happening. There's stories of people being raised from the dead still happening in our world today because there's people that are stupid enough to have the faith of a 14 year old. Let's have stupid faith, okay? I'm going to keep saying it over and over until we believe, but let's have stupid faith. That's what revival is all about. Stupid faith that God can and will still move in our world today. He's going to. David stepped in to that moment where everyone wanted to take his authority. Everyone wanted him to doubt what he was saying, but he had already seen God move in his own life. And God had anointed him for this moment. And so he stepped in with the keys of authority and said, it doesn't matter what men think. It doesn't matter what those closest to me think, because I know who my God is, and I know what he can do. And I know he's going to do it again. And so that's what he steps into. And you know how the story goes. He comes running up to the battle line with a sling and a stone and he lets that thing fly, and it hits the giant in the head, and the giant goes down. That's it. It was so simple, but they made it so complicated. And sometimes we think, man, I David was special. David was different. You know, we could never be David. In fact, I was reading this commentary the other day, and this commentary said, you know, we, we shouldn't read, you know, the Bible through our own eyes. That's kind of this new thing right now where people say, you know, you shouldn't put yourself in the shoes of David. Like, that's not appropriate. It's like, no, no, no. You need to understand something. It's okay to take these Old Testament stories and learn and realize that these were just mere men. Okay? These were just mere men and women who stepped into their faith obediently. They didn't have special powers. They weren't greater than his... Like, David, he wasn't better than his older brothers? He, he wasn't more gifted, he wasn't more talented or anything like that. What was he? He was obedient. What was he doing when he was called back he was being obedient to his father and being a shepherd in a field, doing a lowly job with no praise, no recognition, nobody watching and seeing what he was doing. And he did some cool stuff. He saved the sheep from lions and wolves. Like he, that's, what, that's how he got so good at that sling. Like he's out there slinging at lions and wolves and killing them. But nobody was around. There were no crowds. There was no greatness. There was no, man, pats on the back. He was just doing something simply because his father had asked him to. And when you step into simple obedience, when God knows he can trust you with the small things, what's he going to do? He's going to start to give you the bigger things. But we think the small things are beneath us. Start stepping into simple obedience in the little things, and he will begin to trust you with more. There is more he wants to unlock in the church that we have not even come close to tapping into yet. David tapped into it because he stepped into obedience. His older brothers, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't realize that they had that same opportunity when they were out there at the battle lines for all those weeks listening to the taunts and the challenge of the giant. They had their chance to be obedient to the Lord, to step into that moment, to say, hey, we can have faith like that. We can have crazy, stupid faith, but they let fear overcome them. God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. That is the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And, And so kids, we got a lot of kids here today, don't squash what they're doing and what they're saying and what they're believing for. If you got kids and they start praying crazy, ridiculous prayers for miraculous things, don't start to say things like, well, well, you know, God doesn't do that anymore. God doesn't heal in that way anymore. God doesn't move like that anymore. Let's stop squashing the faith of these kids before it even has a chance to blossom into what God is growing and developing in them. Nurture that faith. He wants to do something great. And so what, what are we going to be? We're going to be a part of raising up this next generation of kids. That's why I love doing church in the park every now and then, because your kids get to see you worship. Your kids get to see you worship the God who saves and moves miraculously. And they get to see that faith being built in you, and they're going to want to be a part of it, especially when they start to see God break out in crazy ways like we've never seen before. Mark 3. Let me tell you something about your spiritual authority. Worship team, you guys can come up. I'm sweating like crazy. I'm about done. I need some water. Mark 3, verse 20. One time, Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. Like they're just doing ministry, working with these people, teaching. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. He's out of his mind. Jesus, the Son of God, who was it that said he was out of his mind? Who was it? His family. Those who are closest to you, when you begin to step into your faith, when you begin to walk in obedience, it's going to look crazy. It's going to sound insane to them. They're going to look at it and they're going to say, He's out of his mind. She's out of his mind. They're losing it. Yeah, come on. Yeah, that's good. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. When you start to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can start to listen and hear him and discern his voice in your life. And you're gonna start to realize he's gonna ask you to do some things that look crazy to the outside world. In fact, he's gonna ask you to do some things that the outside world, in fact, the religious world, people that are in the faith, people that are in the church, they're gonna look at and they're gonna say, he's demonic. He's not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He or she is listening to the voice of Satan. When you start hearing those things said about you, then, then maybe you'll know for sure, I might be doing something right. I might finally be listening to the voice of the Father, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit instead of the spirit of this world. Because the spirit of the world is gonna tell you to be comfortable. The spirit of the world is gonna tell you to blend in. The spirit of the world is gonna tell you to look like everyone else around you. But the Holy Spirit is gonna ask you to do things that look insane to the rest of the world. He's gonna ask you to do things that look stupid to the rest of the world, That is what he wants us to walk in, walk in crazy obedience. Listen to his voice. Jesus called them over and he responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? He asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. That's what Jesus did when he came and died on the cross and he was buried in the tomb. He came in and he plundered the house. He plundered it. And God raised him on Sunday and said, Satan, you have no power or authority anymore. I've handed it back to my children. I've handed the keys back to them. And so now the only way he can take the keys back from you is through lies and deceit. The only way he can take it back is through fear and intimidation. Remember that. When you start to wonder whose voice are you listening to, are you listening to the Holy Spirit's voice or the spirit of this world? Start to ask yourself, is it out of fear or out of strength in knowing who my Father is that I'm doing this or not doing this? If it's out of fear, man, that voice is a liar. Do not listen to the voice of fear. That spirit is a liar. He wants to intimidate you. He wants to push you down and suffocate you with fear and take those keys back from you. But Jesus, he handed them to you. We have authority in Jesus' name. Don't let him take the keys back again. That's what he did all the way back in the garden. What did he do? God gave dominion to Adam and Eve. And the enemy came in and through fear and intimidation, he stole the keys from them. But Jesus came so we could have those keys back. You have power and dominion in this world through Jesus. I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. When you're trying to figure out whose voice you're listening to, uh, l- let me tell you this. Sometimes we think, oh, I don't feel good about this. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like the right timing. What we're doing there is we're confusing the Holy Spirit with our feelings. Our feelings, our emotions, that is not the Holy Spirit. In fact, when you're trying to discern His voice, a lot of times one of the best ways to discern His voice in your life Is maybe asking, God, I don't feel good about this, but is this what you want? And you're going to get that yes from him. And he's going to give you that reminder. You're not always going to feel good. But the more you learn to walk in obedience to my voice, the more I'm going to realign you with my calling on your life. Don't listen to the spirit of this world, to the spirit of fear, to the spirit of intimidation. Listen to his voice and trust it when he speaks. Walk obediently with him. Let's pray. God, thank you for the story of David. Thank you for the story of simple obedience and the reminder that each and every one of us can step in to that kind of obedience. God, help us to quiet the feelings of fear and intimidation when they come and help us to listen to your voice alone above everything that this world tries to throw at us. Help us to walk in authority knowing who you are and what you've done and that you've plundered the grave, that you took back the keys of authority and that you've handed them over to your sons and daughters. Help us to walk in that kind of authority today, to know who you are and that in Jesus' name, we have power and authority to walk fearlessly through this world. In your name, pray. Amen. Let's stand up and let's praise him.